or I'm trying to keep them. <laughs> Hello, welcome everyone. This is Donna D, aka the Urban Mommy, and I am back with another podcast. Today it is going to definitely be a good one. I know I always say that, but I always mean it. And today is really a good one because today I'm joined by Dana Diaz and she is here and we are going to be talking about narcissists. Yes, I said it. We're going to be talking about narcissists. So Dana, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. I'm Dana and I am just a normal person like everyone else, a mother of a human 20-year-old, a mother of two cats, um, a wife, um, and I have just unfortunately had lifelong experience with narcissistic abuse um, beginning in childhood and all the way up to about three years ago. So um, 45 years of my life I've dealt with this. So I've I've unfortunately become an expert involuntarily, but um, I certainly can help shed some light um, and offer some hope to people that might know somebody or might be in the situation themselves. Okay. So, and I know you said that you're just a normal person, but just in case anyone is listening, she is a normal person, but she does have background. So you do have a background in this. So can you let everybody know Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, I I did go to college um, and have a degree in journalism and psychology um, because I was always fascinated by human behavior and why people were doing the things they were doing to me. Um, And I've recently published a book called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse, which delves into the very raw emotional and physical struggles that I had in my previous marriage. That relationship lasted 25 years. And um, I just felt like there was a lot of content there that people could either relate to or, you know, even serve as a warning of what could really happen because people think it's just emotional baggage that you carry with you after a relationship like that, but it actually affected me physically as well. And it's something I'll have to deal with the rest of my life. Wow. Okay. So for those of, for those people who may not be familiar with narcissism, what exactly is narcissism? Um, It's very complex, but basically it's a narcissist is somebody who needs to feel important but to the extent of like exaltation, they feel that they are way superior to any other person um, and they feel that they deserve servitude, um, they feel entitled, um, and they often use one particular person um, usually it's it's a spouse or maybe it's a child. Sometimes it's in a friend relationship, but they have one person that they draw on, um, usually out of insecurity or jealousy, but um, they want this person to serve their ego, but they will gaslight, manipulate, they will use verbal abuse, physical abuse, intimidation, um, sexual abuse, financial abuse, whatever methods they can to get this fulfillment that they need. Okay, so what exactly is the abuse out of it? So what is narcissistic abuse? So the abuse is abuse and we all know what that is. It's it's anything that obviously does not feel right and harms you in some way. And I always say anything that is intentionally harming you in some way is abuse. Um, whether it's bullying, whether it's physical, verbal, Narcissistic abuse is the same thing. It's abuse when a narcissist is inflicting you with it. Um, the, the thing that separates narcissistic abuse, though, from the other abuses is that you can be in a situation where you are verbally abused. You can be physically abused, maybe in your childhood or what have you. Narcissistic abuse can be any or all, but usually multiple abuses happening at the hands of a narcissist. So it's that much worse and oftentimes is the cause of domestic violence and the reason why some people aren't here to speak up for themselves anymore. So it's really important that people are aware that this can be anything from a little bit of bullying and verbal abuse to somebody uh, not surviving a domestic situation. Wow. And you mentioned that your experience with narcissism actually started in your childhood so how is that i know it's even probably more it's more difficult when it's your parents 
<laughs> yeah, that was a tough one. Still is, honestly. Um, I was born to a teenage mother who did not want me. I don't believe she wanted children at all, honestly, because she had her tubes tied right after I, like immediately after my birth. Um, so she always was emotionally detached from me um, because I, I, she just was not wanting me or any child. So when she got married, I was very young when she started dating this man that ended up being her husband. He, I always said he was the king of all narcissists, uh, very overt, you know, everybody had to know what he had and what he did. And he's the best and the be all end all of everything knows everything. Um, but the abuse was more verbal and physical. Um, my mother unfortunately turned her head to it because she didn't have any real attachment to me. Um, I was just, he would tell me every day that I was a burden. I was a bother that they didn't love me, that they didn't even feel that they should have to pay for me, um, because they didn't want me. So, you know, it's very hard when you're a little, little kid and I'm talking like four five, six years old, um, the things he was speaking to me and then it gradually, went from that to and me being a strong-willed little girl I stood up for myself and told him that's not true you can't talk to me that way um but then I would be met with the slapping the the grabbing my arm so tight that I had hand marks and by the time I was a teenager it escalated into situations where I was being beaten with a phone if I called for help I was strangled I was thrown down a half flight of stairs and one night I honestly thought I was going to die by strangulation, but I got away. I ran away um, and was picked up by the cops and, and they took me right back home because my mother and stepfather were these upstanding citizens that all the neighbors and, and anybody that was interviewed, you know, would, you know, vouch for them and say that, that they were these great people, charitable, generous, funny, charming, that there's no way they could have done these things. So I was made out to be a liar uh, trying to get attention and somebody that was self-inflicting wounds um, to do that, to enact that attention. And I apologize. This is my cat over here wanting to say a few words. That's okay. We, <laughs> we take discussion from everyone. Clearly she has something to say. Um, so with, with that, and the, the sad part was that the police unfortunately took you back. But with narcissism, a lot of times people don't realize is the person that's the actual narcissist does a really good job of masking their behavior. Yes. So it's a lot of times you may try to say something about the person who you feel to be a narcissist, but many people won't believe you. And that is actually mm -hmm. some of their strength because they know that. It is. And that's how they attract people too. I mean, I always make the point because people say, you know, especially with reference to my ex-husband, um, who is an abusive narcissist as well, that while well, you were raised by an abusive narcissist, how could you fall in love with one and marry one? These people are not walking around the street. You know, like I always use the reference to Chucky from the 1980s movies. They don't have the crazy hair and carrying around butcher knives. I, and who would be attracted to that? I mean, look at Ted Bundy, the serial killer. Wasn't right. he handsome and charming? And he had a girlfriend and a little girl at home. But he was getting these women, luring them and killing them. But yes. he was handsome and charming and nobody ever knew it took how long. So these are the people we're dealing with. You know, they lure us with their charm and with the same mask that they wear to the public. But it also makes us look like exactly like the crazy that they claim us to be when we go and finally speak up. But they also do that, you know, so that nobody does believe us. They have to protect themselves and, and they have to make sure that you're aware that if you speak up that nobody's going to believe you and that's why a lot of people are partially the reason why a lot of people stay in these relationships because they know there's no hope for you know any kind of justice or vindication in any way yes and a lot of times when we're speaking of narcissists like especially if we talk about like when you were younger and when myself when i was younger Dealing with this, we didn't know what it was called. No, we didn't. We just thought we had maybe a mean mom or mean dad. We had mm -hmm. no idea that it was actually this. So now with education and awareness, we are able to actually pinpoint what these people are in the abuse that's happening happening from it. So when you first started learning about different personality disorders and you and you found 
narcissism? Was it like an aha moment? It was an aha moment because it finally made sense. You know, because as you just said, you know, some people would say, oh, you just had it a little rougher and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I had it worse and I had to, you know, but my thing is this, everybody does perceive things a little bit differently, but <laughs> if you are intentionally harming another human being, never mind a child who is defenseless and has no way out and no way um to get any help for what they're going through it's just wrong i mean to say it's wrong is an understatement it, it's disgusting you know as an adult at least you know to some extent you know there's the argument of whether abuse you know remaining in an abusive situation is more of a choice or if you're scared to stay and this and that but as a child where was i gonna go where was a seven-year-old little girl gonna go right and then you had no siblings right no, I did. I did. My mother and stepfather had their own child, but I was 14. Now, mind you, when child services and the authorities did get involved when I was 16, they took me out of the home for the questioning and the interviewing process. But they left my little brother there, which made no sense to me, you know, because even, you know, erring on the side of caution, if there was the slightest possibility, and I clearly had bruises and hand marks and had been roughed up quite a bit. Um, that was probably the most horrendous situation I endured during um, my time in that house. The fact that they left my little brother there, but at the same time, I was one of those situations. Our family dynamic was such that I was the one that was the target. My little brother was fine because he was their child. Mm -hmm. I was not from both of them. Therefore, I was the one, you know, as a matter of fact, when they were pregnant with him, my stepfather would repeatedly tell me that once that child was born, I was not a part of this family. They were a family, the three of them, him and my mother and their baby. I was not part of that family. So he was making a very clear separation. Um, so my brother, fortunately, thank God, was spared any part of the kind of childhood that I had. In fact, if you talk to my brother, he will make you think that these are the two most exemplary parents that any child could have because they chose to raise him with love and support and encouragement. And they chose not to give me basic courtesy. That's horrible. Man, that's that that that's that's horrible. You know that yeah. that that would even happen. And it's it's strange that when you do that that they didn't create a wedge between you and your brother because you know they tried they tried um you know over the years there was definitely you know i i it was hard for me to miss that anytime my brother and i spoke especially as adults that my mother hovered she had to hear every word and i was actually told um, very early on that, you know, threatened actually not to ever speak one word of, of my mistreatment to my brother, that he was never to know these things. And if I were to ever speak up, it was going to be denied. They were going to make it. And they have actually succeeded in that, unfortunately. Um, you know, my brother has heard some things, not from me because I have spared him that. I wanted him to have his relationship with his parents and we try to have a relationship despite having the same parents um but the things that he has heard his mother and father have already you know begun that narrative of you know i i call it the crazy narrative because narcissists commonly you know they're crazy they're mentally unstable they don't know what they're talking about they have spread this uh, idea that i'm bipolar which ironically i was made to think that I was bipolar by my ex-husband to the point that I actually went to a psychiatrist and went home with two prescriptions for bipolar disorder, bipolar depression specifically, just to find out years later that I wasn't bipolar at all, in fact. And now I'm on no medications. I had CPTSD 
an obvious anxiety right. <laughs> from the mistreatment. But, um, you know, to, to say that um, I had to be treated differently because it was bipolar disorder, um, you know, it, it's just another story, as I used to call their um, the stories that they used to make up. They always had some comeback for this is what we're going to tell people. This is how we're going to put it out. This is how we're going to explain this so nobody will know. Um, and it was exhausting as a child to constantly be told what the story is and to create these illusions that other people still to this day believe. But, you know, I'm, I'm finally at that point in my life that especially after my previous marriage, I, you know, I'm speaking up and if people believe me fine and if they don't, I don't care because I know what I went through and I know what's what. And for every victim that's out there that can't speak up or, or thinks they shouldn't, I have to. And that's why I'm out here doing this. Right. And a part of that is, is actually, it's gaslighting. So that's exactly yes. what, what gaslighting is. I don't remember hearing the word gaslighting probably until I became an adult. Yeah. But gaslighting is, is big and yes. you don't realize how harmful it is. But when you are dealing with narcissists, that is what they do. They will make you feel like something is wrong with you. Yes, your perception of reality is wrong. And in my personal situation, it was my mother, my stepfather, and my, well, now my ex-husband, but my husband at the time, three of what I would say are the primary people in my life. Everything I said, everything I commented on, they negated. What I saw, I didn't see. I didn't really see that. If I heard this, I didn't hear that because nobody ever said it. I had three people constantly negating my reality to the point that I took one of my son's old notebooks that he came home from school with that was half used. I tore out the used pages and I started recording like instantly. If something was said, you know, that was noteworthy or, or something happened, I would note the date and just real quickly in a sentence or two what happened. I hid it under the basement couch cushion where I knew my husband couldn't find it, but I recorded everything because I needed to know. I would go through and think, oh, well, but he's saying he never said that. And I wrote right here, word for word, five minutes after he said it, like I made sure to note it down word for word. So I knew it wasn't me. I knew it was them, but it's so hard when you have, again, the three, not just one or two, three people in your life that are, are your prime people telling me that basically I'm crazy and that nothing I perceive is reality. It does make you question yourself. And I'm a mother and I'm coaching, you know, things at school and, and in life I'm running a business and I'm thinking if I'm that crazy, I need to be aware of this so I can get help. But just like him convincing me that I was bipolar and, and going to the doctor and actually getting meds for it because I guess I had these ideas in my head of everything he told me that led to this diagnosis. You know, I repeated it back to the doctor. I just, but this, I couldn't, you know, I knew I was not that delusional. You know, we all perceive things a little differently, but when they're completely different, I didn't buy it. So, I know you said that sometimes you would start to actually believe them. So when you were younger with your parents, did you actually believe the stuff that they were saying? You know, I didn't believe them. I experienced the belief more in my previous marriage just because, you know, this was my husband and, and I felt a little more... As, as ironic as it sounds, I, yeah, I mean, I was invested in this. We had a son, we had a life. And I wanted to make it work and I wanted to be self-aware, but no, when I was a little girl, I mean, I was a good girl. I was a very good girl to this day. I can honestly say never smoked anything, never did recreational drugs and drink. I was a good girl. I, I, I really was, but I knew it was wrong. It's just that I didn't have anybody that cared, you know, my own mother just turned her head the gaslighting. I didn't know that word either, but she, I mean, I remember things, you know, something being said to me by my stepfather and I would look at her like, 
expecting a defense and and she would just look away and smile and i'd say you just heard that didn't you and she'd say i didn't hear anything and i'm like he just said it like you know (laughs) it's so frustrating and i know it's hard for people that haven't been in this circumstance but yeah the gaslighting is very real and it's very difficult and on top of that they use the silent treatment when i was too pushy about you know insisting on being treated well or or not being gaslit or beaten or whatever i would get the silent treatment that was my sign that i did something very disapproving and it would sometimes be for weeks and that's probably the cruelest thing that i could imagine doing to a human being after experiencing it over and over and over in my life because they would walk in a room i mean my own mother and she didn't even see me and i would talk to her I would look her in the eyes and talk to her and she wouldn't she it was like I wasn't even there like I was just poof I disappeared and you know not even setting a place for me at the table no food no nothing I just wasn't there I didn't exist and then in my 25 year former marriage my ex-husband did the same thing to me why because I was dumb enough to tell him how much that hurt me And do you know the silent treatments is actually a military tactic that they used on prisoners of war in Guantanamo Bay? It messes with a person's head. It's cruel. It's cruel. And narcissists commonly use the silent treatment. And I've experienced it for over 40 years of my life. God, that is horrible. So with your ex-husband, when did you start to notice that he was a narcissist. I hate to say, but the second I met him, he walked into where I worked and immediately he was aloof. He was, you know, there was definitely like this air about him that he expected me to like bow down and and accommodate every everything with him. And so it was very reminiscent of my stepfather. You know, I thought, oh, he's just like him. He's just like him. So why I why did I end up with him? By the time he got around to asking me, you know, to hang out and stuff, I, honestly, I was just so lonely. I had come out of 18 years of my life in a childhood home where my own mother rejected me. She did not love me. My stepfather was telling me every day, nobody will ever love you. And I was single. I was alone. And my God, it, I always liken it to like a dog that that just wants a treat. And they sit there and whine and beg and, and hope and pray. That's how I felt. And I thought, well, maybe I'm being too judgmental. Maybe I don't. Maybe I should get to know him because I don't have any other options right now. And this guy is willing to at least get to know me. So I gave him a shot and I liked him even less, honestly. after the first time of hanging out with him. Um, But, you know, he said, I I remember the first time we hung out at the end of that awful, awful night. He said, if you treat me like a king, I'll treat you like a queen. And it was like dangling that treat in front of me. And I thought I I needed this lie. I needed somebody to love me. And and so I I tried. I, I tried to do all the tricks to get my treat. And um, it it was right from the get-go. It's just the thing with narcissists is they lure you in. They know how to get you. He he obviously knew very well how vulnerable I was and how naive. And unfortunately, I also realized looking back that, you know, my childhood, especially with my mother, she kind of primed me to be in an abusive relationship because a lot of the times I went to her you know, when I was a little older in my childhood and she would, she would say, oh, well, your stepfather's just, you know, treating you so badly because it's representative of how much he actually loves you. So mm. she was basically telling me love and pain were the same, that if somebody hurts you, they love you. So here I have somebody treating me like crap. And I, in my skewed brain after right. my childhood think, oh, he must really care about me. He introduced me to his parents a week after we met. Oh, wow. He must really be in this. I'm not there, but I'm going to hold his hand and see where this goes because 
he's obviously feeling it. And this is what I've always wanted, isn't it? And his parents were lovely, lovely people. I wish that I had parents like his. And I wanted his parents to be mine. So I thought he can't be that bad if he came from these people. And I almost wonder if I fell in love with his parents more than I, you know, did so much with him. You know, mm. that's always a possibility too. But you realize all these things in retrospect. Back yeah. then, I was a 19-year-old girl that just wanted love. I just yeah, wanted you were young. to love me. You were young. And there's a song... Uh... T.I. I forgot the name of the song, but he's a rapper. And yes, there's a part where they talk about this girl and she says, I just want to feel love, even if I know it ain't real love. And mm. I always think that is so deep because oftentimes yes. people don't get it. And it's easy to sit back and judge other people when they look at situations. Yes. But sometimes if you have never been properly loved, especially you know as a child when you get into relationships you just want somebody to love you and and those people know that and unfortunately people like like that like myself as well we tend to attract narcissists yeah exactly we, i we always felt like them. i did yes we we tend to attract them so and then they're also very charming yes they're charming so even if we get upset with them They'll do something that make us makes us feel like, you know, we love them or they love us. So they, they do change up. Exactly. And they sense when they're starting to lose you or when you're starting to doubt the relationship or, you know, the, the truth behind their words, you know, when their actions don't match. And they start, you know, I guess they call that love bombing. They lure you back. They say and do yeah. all the right things so that you know, you're, you're back where you should be right next to them. And, you know, you hang on to that hope, you know, knowing that they can be good and knowing it's a choice and knowing that it depends on what you do, whether you listen to them or not, basically you learn to listen. So I know that I've had judgments in the past of people say, oh, well, I would never submit to a man like that. Well, I would never submit to a man either, but guess what? I was submitting to a man. Yeah. I was submitting because I wanted love more than I cared about my own, you know, self-respect. So, you know, it happens. Right. Okay. So with that, and this answers part of that question, but why do people tend to stay in those type of abusive relationships? I think there's so many reasons. I mean, even if you're not in an abusive relationship, let's say you're married to somebody or with somebody, you have a kid or a few kids, you have a house, you have a mortgage together, your families are intertwined, your finances are intertwined. It's it's a nice idea to think like, I'm not happy, I'm just going to up and leave. But when you have all these, you know, things together in this life you've built together, it's not, it's not, not practical to just get up and walk away because especially if there's children involved. And for me, I, I had a son with this man, you know, you have to think about the kid too. I mean, for me, he was threatening that mm -hmm. if I left him, he would make sure I never saw my son again. He was actually, you know, really pushing this narrative, telling people, family specifically behind my back, you know, fake stories, lying, and even telling me that he was lying to them mm. um, about my mental stability and things that were happening, said to make sure they hated me and to make sure they'd never believe me. You know, and he was openly telling me this so that I knew I had nowhere to turn. And when you think you're alone, and you think you have nowhere to turn and they don't let you have the money or have access to the money and you don't know that you can walk away with your kid which is the only thing you want guess what you stay and you do the tricks to get your treats or just to at least maintain some sense of peace for everybody in the house and you hate it and you suffer but you do it did people believe him yes yeah, he started with his family. Um, then I, I found out he was speaking to my mother of all people behind my back. And so, yeah, and then people in our son's school, teachers, coaches, wow. um, he was he was making his rounds, but he everybody loves him. He was a great guy. That's what I hear. <laughs> right. Oh my god, that that that's horrible. So there are obvious mental 
effects that comes from this? Well, what are some of those mental effects that come from dealing with narcissists? Yeah, I think the obvious ones, you know, there's a lot of anxiety because you're constantly at the hypervigilance more than anything. You are constantly watching everything, every movement of a finger, every twitch of the eye, any facial expression, any emotion at you read into every word that is said. You are sensing the energy when you walk in a room. You are constantly, constantly surveying the situation for threats because you have to be on guard for anything that they're going to throw at you. And you never know if you're going to get a good mood, a bad mood, aggression, physical, you know, hostility. I mean, I had a crowbar swung at my head. I ducked. I'm not sure how, because I have terrible reflexes, but I, I could not be standing here. Um, but everything, you have to be hypervigilant and it makes you anxious. I am still struggling with the anxiety and I get anxious over things that I have to catch myself and say, okay, it's okay. Like it's not that bad, but your body senses it before your mind does. And the reaction, the sweating and, and the panic and your heart and you get headaches and stomach aches and all this stuff, obviously depression, because people feel as I did, you feel stuck. You feel like you're never going to get out of the situation. You're lonely because they've isolated you from friends and family. You have nobody to turn to. Um, so it's awful, the mental part of it. And then there's also just the self-sabotage almost that comes with that because you start blaming yourself, you know? I should have seen the signs and not gotten into this, or maybe I am as worthless and undeserving as they're treating me because if I was worthy and deserving, then maybe they'd love me. And if I did, you know, I even remember Googling, I Googled how to be a good wife, mm. but better yet, he actually twice in our life together left me handwritten notes on my desk of how to be a good wife, like a list. And the sad part is I still have one of them. And when I was writing my book and pulled it out so I could refer to it because it, it, it was definitely part of that story, mm -hmm. I saw that I had actually check marked next to some of the items on the list. Wow. I wanted so badly to have peace in our house and to have some chance that this man could just love me that I was actually checking off a list of how to be a good wife. Wow. I mean, that... That's big. That makes me sad for myself. That is. Yeah. And it, it also sounds like a lot of abandonment as well. Yes. So Especially yeah. with the silent treatment because that, yeah. you know, and, and that doesn't even count the times, you know, that he was unfaithful, that he would just walk out and show up a, a day later and not share where he was. And I didn't ask either because honestly, I didn't need to know the details. I knew he wasn't at home. You know, and he did move out a few times just to show me that he could come and go whenever he wanted to. And what was that going to leave me with? You know, he wanted me to feel like nothing. And he did that. That's the mental struggle of it. And trying to claw your, trying to get out of that feels like clawing your way out of a mud pit. It does. But you can get there. You I mean, can. I feel like I, I, I feel like I've come out of the top of that mud pit finally, but I feel for anybody who struggles with it or, you know, feels like they shouldn't even try to climb out because I've been there and, and it's an awful place to be. I, I definitely agree. And it's, it's hard while you're there because like you said, they control the narrative. So you are telling this story that no one believes and mm -hmm. awareness is important. I remember like saying stuff like on Facebook sometimes about narcissists and narcissism and all of my friends. And that's why I asked you earlier of, you you know, to say mm -hmm. that you are a psychiatrist, you know, that you did psychi psychology, psychology. Because, <laughs> because I remember saying that, I mean, and I, I was kind of probably crying out for help. I needed help. I needed somebody yes. to listen to me. And all of my friends were like, Oh, well, technically you can't be a narcissist if, unless you are clinically um, diagnosed and narcissism is the most yeah. abused word. And I mean, they're saying all this stuff and these are therapists. And I'm like, listen, and I, I told her, I said, listen, yeah. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
And just because you weren't diagnosed does not mean you're not a narcissist. And I can, can I just speak to that? I Forgive yeah. me for interrupting, but no, this ahead. is something that gnaws at me. Tell me somebody, tell me of any narcissist that has actually gone for a <laughs> diagnosis. Narcissists don't think there's anything wrong with them. Yes. So oh, why yeah. in the heck, unless there was some advantage, unless there was something in it for them that right. they wanted, they are not going to any kind of mental health place. Nope to get any kind of diagnosis. That's why honestly, I don't even I don't even really buy this whole diagnosis. I mean, we know what a narcissist is and does mm -hmm. and forget the label altogether. If you intentionally harm another human being, you're a vile and disgusting person. Yes. That's just wrong. Yes. Yes, and that's it and that's and like I was saying, I was actually crying out for help. I was like yeah. Looking, I, I heard of narcissists, but in my mind, I always thought narcissist was just somebody that had like the ego. I right. had no idea until I started reading more when I saw the personality traits and what they would do in the gaslighting. Remember, I told you that was a, a relatively new term that I learned because yeah. I would self self sabotage myself. I would feel like I was unlovable. I would yes. stay in relationships. I'm like, I can't get anybody else. And People right. like, oh, why are you insecure? And it's not that I'm insecure for reasons like, oh, I'm this or I'm that. It was mental. It was years of mental damage. And then we, you know, when you add a childhood or abandonment, it's like, yes. it's it's a lot that happened. So I I was really excited to hear your story because I, you know, I had so much of that in my life. So what was it that made you realize what you were dealing with and that you had to you had to stop it. Well, honestly, I mean, I knew what I was dealing with, but what made me decide to stop it was when I got sick. I was experiencing multiple, I mean, I think there were about two dozen random symptoms. Um, but after my vision went completely black while I was driving once, wow. and after I, I'll never forget at the end of 2018, I dropped down to 93 pounds for no reason. I mean, I was skeletal. I mean, I've always been small, but 93 pounds, I mean, I had to go and buy like child size, like in the girls section, even just undergarments and clothes because I couldn't fit into even an extra small in women's. And everybody looked at me like I was deathly ill and I felt very ill. Um, it turned out long and short of it after doctors and specialists throwing their hands up in the air and telling me I'm a hypochondriac. Um, mm -hmm. It was Mayo Clinic that finally determined that I had so much cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Whenever we're in a stressful situation, it runs through our body kind of like adrenaline. I had such astronomically high levels of cortisol running through my body for such a long period of time, decades that it actually made me autoimmune. My white blood wow. cell count, my white blood cells thought it was fighting something like a cancer and started killing itself off and damaging, causing all kinds of havoc in my body. All of my major organ systems had dropped down to minimal base survival rates and I could barely breathe. Like the scratchiness you sense in my voice, that's, that's my lung disease that I have as a result of this narcissistic abuse because I couldn't breathe anymore. My breathing levels fell 10% under what COVID patients were at with their wow. oxygen. I was, I had an oxygen unit that I carried in a backpack with a face mask just to breathe and keep my heart beating. But my doctor sat me down by the end of 2019 and said, your body is shutting down. Your body is doing everything it can just to breathe and keep your heart beating. Mm -hmm. That is why nothing works. That is why you can't move. Your muscles have stiffened. You're, you can't pass a neurological exam. You can't see. You can't. I, I couldn't even tear toilet paper off the roll sometimes. My hands were not even working. That's to say I was shutting down. I was alive, but I was dead inside, literally, mentally and physically. And that's when I just decided like this is I, I'm in my 40s I'm in the beginning of my 40s I should have more than half of my life left and I have a son and if it weren't for my son I might have just said screw it and given up on myself altogether but I was not 
for anything literally over my dead body? Was I going to let this man raise my son and go make people feel sorry for him that, oh, poor me, look at me, the widowed, you know, husband and a single father. No, 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 ma'am. I, I bucked up and I said, okay, for the first time in my life, even though it goes against my religion and it goes against everything in me and my, my will to fight for this marriage and, and, and for everything, I have to choose me for once. And that's when I realized it was this epiphany that all this time, 40 some years of my life, I was looking for love. I had to love me and it was always in me. I just never loved myself. I had always hated myself because people had made me feel like I was unlovable. So I had to love myself because nobody else was going to save me but me. And that's when everything turned around. And I'm going to say this. This was three short years ago that I finally got out of that marriage. It got most violent afterward. We had domestic violence situations after the divorce. But that was three short years ago. And in that time, my I have gained all this weight back. Now that I'm safe, my nervous system is calming. I don't have the depression and the anxiety to the extent that I had it before. I am finally able to breathe. I mean, my voice is raspy, but I, have, <laughs> I can't even tell you the last time I used my oxygen machine. You know, I am definitely thriving. I'm living my life, but it's because I'm being filled with positivity and joy. I've gone 45 years of my life with people speaking, you know, demeaning me, insulting me, discouraging me, telling me all these things that were wrong with me. I am now in a situation, I'm very happily remarried to somebody I'd known a long time. um, And he's positive. He speaks positive to me. He encourages me. He supports me. All these happy things that we think are, are, you know, a, a given people take for granted in their childhood or in their marriage. But I never had that. And being surrounded by this positive energy now and these positive words is helping me to speak positively to myself, to think better about myself. I have more self-love and self-respect and all these things you need to really thrive. And I am also not being caged by, you know, like an animal. I am free. You know, I am with a man who loves me. And and I always say it's kind of like holding a bird in your hand. It's either going to fly away or it's going to sit there knowing it can fly away, but it stays because it wants to. That's Mm -hmm. how I feel right now. I am staying because I want to, but I know that I am free to, to go and do and be to whatever my heart's desire. And that's such a different life than what I experienced in my childhood and previous marriage and having all these positive things in my life now and this freedom. And, and I just can't tell you how uh, it's just literally life-changing stuff. It has changed my self-talk. It has changed my mental health. It's so much more improved. My physical health is so much more improved. Um, it's a big difference, but I can't sit here either and tell people get out of that toxic relationship, leave now because it's not safe for everybody to leave. And some people aren't ready and some people aren't going to leave even if they have an opportunity because they're scared of what's out there or scared of what's going to happen or scared if they can make it on their own or what's going to happen to their kids. Is the person going to come back and get them or whatever it is, but I'm just here to tell you that on the other side of this, if you choose to, if you dare to make that choice, boy, it's so much better over here. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, did you go to therapy? I did not go to traditional talk therapy. I don't personally, for me, believe in that um, for multiple reasons. I think a lot of abuse victims um, have this problem, you know, the anxiety and the hypervigilance. If I know I have to go and talk to somebody on Thursday at three o'clock about all this awful crap, I'm going to have anxiety for days. I'm going to be ruminating over it. I won't sleep. I won't. I, I just it, that's too much for me. Um, but fortunately, there's so many other therapies out there. Um, I am a writer, so I opted for I, tr- I tried out a writing therapy and it was actually phenomenal. And I could do it on my own terms um, when I wanted. And it was extremely effective. 
Um, but what I do tell people also, because not everybody is able to afford therapy, um, you know, that's always an issue as well, especially if you're out of a relationship and don't have access to finances or, or insurance at all. Um, the one thing that I found most helpful that everybody can access um, for free on their own, um, I, I always felt that because I was dictated as to how to speak, how to be, what to wear, what I could do, what I could, everything was micromanaged in my life by these narcissists. I started when I was first, you know, free of it all. I found myself still following the so-called rules and doing things his way. And I had to kind of ask myself every step of the way, what does Dana want? What do I want? What do I want to eat for dinner? Do I want a pint of ice cream? Well, hell, I'm going to have a pint of ice cream for dinner. You know, screw his meat in two sides. I'm having ice cream. You know, <laughs> I want to wear that red nail polish. I want to wear that lipstick he doesn't like me wearing because he says it looks like I'm a whore. Whatever. <laughs> I fulfilled my soul. I listened to the music I wanted to listen to. I went to my church whenever the heck I wanted to. I, I participated in things, you know, I made friends or reconnected with friends. I did all these things that he didn't like me doing, but they were things that made me happy, that filled my soul. And I feel like, what, you know, kind of like filling up that positivity cup. If you're filling your soul with these things, you know, your heart is happier by doing this little thing, bring that joy into your life first and foremost, because I think then whenever you choose or are able to have some sort of therapy to help you the rest of the way, I think that it'll be more effective mm -hmm. because if you go into it from the perspective of, you know, I am missing him and I'm stuck and I'm depressed and I'm, you know, and not that we all aren't, we were all there, but I think that it's harder to penetrate, um, you know, that very stubborn negative attitude that we have coming out of a relationship like that, because we don't see, even when we come out, we still have a hard time seeing what's ahead and seeing that it can be good. So yeah. I think if you fill yourself, you know, indulge your whims, small little things, whatever it is, go get your Starbucks coffee that, you know, you treat yourself to go buy yourself a new, whatever it is, go get your hair done, you know, Go do something for you, but do for yourself often until you feel that you're in a good space mentally, physically, that you can be receptive to whatever therapy you choose. That is that is so true. Um, how did you find the courage to love again? Well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of, I think a lot of us fall into this, um, you know, we, we, we don't trust anyone and we don't trust ourselves either after coming out of something like that. Um, so I was pretty set like everyone usually is on, I'm going to be alone and like, I should at least be alone for some set amount of time. And you have all these ideas in your head about, it's just better to not engage with anybody. Um, in my situation, it was a little bit different because I already knew this person and we have the small town aspect these small towns, everybody knows everybody and everybody's right. business, you know, so him being a longtime friend and I knew his family and, and many members of his family, um, it, it kind of fell into place a little easier for me than it would for somebody else per se. So, you know, he was there. He was a, a huge support for me um, through a lot of the things that I went through and just we naturally talked afterwards and 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 just grew closer and it was just easy. Um, but if I had to actually go out there and date like strangers, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I would have been ready for that. It was easy because I already knew him, knew trusted him. him, known him, known his family. But as far as loving him, I mean, when he did, you know, propose marriage, I'm not going to lie. I looked him dead in the eye very seriously. Like, uh, I don't know about this. Like, do we really need to do this? Like, do either one of us really need to be married again? But with him and, and you know, whether it takes somebody several years or, or a month, whatever, I told myself, I, I adore this man and he's good to me.
And I shouldn't deny myself love just because I failed at love because it does take two. And mm-hmm. I just didn't have a dancing partner the first time around, you know, and this right. time I did. And, you know, as terrible as it sounds, I thought I, I never thought of myself as somebody who would ever get married more than once. I firmly believe that. Um, but I thought, you know what? I didn't think he was going to let me down. And, and I thought the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out. But at least while it's working out, don't I deserve to have that happiness and love for however long it lasts? But I have to say too, it's been tremendously helpful because when you come out of a situation or or a whole life where you don't love yourself and you struggle with your, your own self image, it's a lot easier to find that within you when you have somebody else helping you see that, you know, my husband's unique because like, you know, I, I know like in the past with, with men, it's, Oh, Hey, beautiful. And you're, you know, all this smack talk, you know, and (laughs) with my husband, he would, if he, he rarely says anything to compliment my appearance, he compliments my inner qualities. You know, he'll say, gosh, you're so smart about this thing. Or, you know, look at this that you wrote, or I'm so proud of you for achieving that, you know, So it's making me see myself as something worthy and something Mm -hmm. valuable to this world versus Mm -hmm. just some pretty thing that somebody has to look at. You know what I mean? So um, it has helped me see that value in myself. And that definitely helps, you know, the healing process when you have a little more trust in, in what you're doing and what you're feeling because there's so much doubt that comes out of an, an abusive relationship, especially with a narcissist. You you don't know if you're coming or going half the time. I don't even know if they know if you're coming or going. They kind of decide along the way is what I always felt like. And he could change his mind at, at a moment's notice. And, and you just never knew what was going on. So true. Um, I'm not sure... I know everybody have their own, you know, they have religions and they have everything that they that go through. So I, I do, I get tattoos. So part of my therapy that I do, I do get tattoos and I just wanted to bring it. I know it's dark in here right now. Um, I can't even put my arm in front of it. Let's see. Okay, there it is. Tell, um, but it actually says, it's kind of looks crooked, but it actually says love yourself first. So to go back to what we spoke about 10 minutes ago, about 10 minutes ago, that, that is me. So everything that we spoke about, I, I had to remind myself, I had to get a, you know, get that because I felt that I was unloved and I thought that nobody would ever love me. Like not even my own kids. I was like, I don't think anybody loves me. Right. And I, and I went through life like that. And I know my family will probably say like, why, Donna, why would you say that? But I, they can't, they can't invalidate how I feel. That's literally exactly. how I felt. And I felt for years that nobody loved me. So I was like, you know what? I got to love myself because a lot of times, especially when we are parents, we, we want to put our kids first, Yes. but we can't always do that. You have to put yourself first because if you don't love you and you try to put all your love into your husband or to your child, something's going to go wrong. You're going to falter at some point. You have to love yourself because me as a mother loving me means that I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to take care of them and they're going to be taken care of. But if I don't love me, like I tell my kids, I'm the captain. I'm the captain of this ship. If something happens to me, we're all going to go down. So I have to love myself. I have to take care of myself. And I got that tattoo. And I, again, guys, I apologize for um, the light, the lighting issue, but I, I have to remind myself and it's sad that I have to actually tell myself that you need to love yourself, but yeah, you do though. Years of abuse will do that to you. That's why it's been helpful for me to have my husband and thank God we were friends first that again, just him speaking kindly to me and telling me positive yeah. things about myself has helped me develop that self-talk. Not that I don't have days where I'm like, Oh, I'm supposed to be the strong, resilient warrior. I sure don't feel like that. Today, you know? right. I don't know if I could put that face on today, but no, I, I want to, you know, address what you just said about your kids. You know, I thought 
And I think a lot of women do, um, and maybe men too that are in this situation that, you know, you are, my, my son had all my love. He had anything, anything and everything I would do for my son. Cause I loved him and I wanted to protect him as much as I could, even though I know I, he was exposed to more than he needed to, uh, see and hear, but you know, the, the most telling thing for me was after the divorce, I think it was the first or second time that I went out with a friend. Actually, no, it was two girlfriends. They wanted to take me out for a drink after work. And, you know, so I got some nice clothes on and did my hair and everything. I was feeling good, but it was so rare because I had not been out. I mean, literally probably in a couple decades with friends. And as I was walking out, my son said to me, it's good to see you smiling again. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like I had done my motherly duties. He had a clean house. He had laundry. I paid all the bills I did. You know, I was there emotionally supporting him and, and taking care of him. But he was seeing a mother that was miserable. So what mm. good was that? You know, but for him to make the point of saying it's good to see you happy and and even when i told him i'm like well i know this is a little soon but getting married <laughs> again he was happy he's like you know what i'll i think it's too soon but he said i love you and i know you guys are happy together and he's always he's like referring to my husband he goes he's always smiling and he's really positive and I really like you two together. So he says, I'll do this for you, mom. I'm going to walk you down the aisle. And, and Aww. it was really cool because my son is finally seeing me living a good life and being happy. And I think that what a good example we can give to our kids so that they want the same thing for themselves and that they can see now, now my son can see a healthy relationship where my husband and I can disagree and still be laughing and smiling and love each other, you know, and, and have healthy conflict and, and, and also see us laughing and see us engaging positively where he didn't see that between me and his dad. It was always World War III. So it's, it's a good thing for us to put ourselves first. It feels selfish and conceited at, at, when, you're st when you start to do it, but you have to allow yourself those those I say just indulge. It's a little indulgence, but you get used to it and it gets better yes. and, and it's okay. Right. Question. Do you think a narcissist can ever be fixed? Honestly, no. I don't. You know, they say that, I, I've read in studies, I should say, um, several of them. They say that you're sort of wired, so to speak, by the time mm. you're around age six or seven, as to what your roles are as far as gender roles, relationship roles, based on what you have seen, based on your experiences. Um, but I feel like that's a loaded question. I, I, I can't, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it that speaks to everything from, you know, we're talking about criminals. Can they be re rehabilitated? Can can a 50-year-old lifelong criminal be rehabilitated? I, I don't think so personally, but, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to say no either because I, I hope there are some that can. Can a narcissist be fixed? Well, we go back to the narcissistic personality disorder. Are they going to go to the, are, are they going to be responsive to somebody suggesting that there's something wrong with their psyche, that they would go to a doctor for the diagnosis and then follow the treatment plan, which would require them to suddenly be selfless and caring and considerate. I just don't see somebody all of a sudden doing that. I mean, I'm sure there are, there's always exceptions, but um, I think they are who they are. But I will say this, that I also think there's somebody for everybody. And, and if, whether it's a romantic relationship, whatever, there are going to be people that whether it's a cultural uh, quality or, um, you know, maybe because of the situations they've been in in their life have led them to, you know, be 
in these submissive roles more willingly. And, and I speak about this, even thinking about my own mother. Um, there are people that are perfectly fine in that situation. Are they happy? I don't know, but they're perfectly happy being in that situation. So mm -hmm. there's somebody for everybody, you know, and my ex has somebody living with him that I've heard has had a lot of uh, very bad relationships and they seem to be happy. I, it's not my business. It's not my concern. And I honestly don't care because as long as she's there, he's not bothering me. So right. I hope and pray that she's safe, that her daughters are safe and that they live happily ever after. But it ain't going to be with me. Yeah, I know that's right. <laughs> right. So um, you did mention that you have a book and it actually came from you doing some journaling dealing with your husband. So yes. can you let everybody know how they can um, buy that book and what they can gain from reading it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the book is called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. You can actually buy it anywhere books are sold online. It, it comes in ebook or print. Um, if you go to my website, DanaSDiaz.com, it's there, a link for it. There's also my Facebook and Instagram links there that you can follow me because I do post content every day about narcissism, healing, all kinds of stuff. Um, but yes, um, the book is basically going through my entire 25 year relationship with my ex from the day he literally walked into my life and I couldn't stand him to after the end, um, when I finally survived the domestic violence after the divorce and finally had him removed from my property that he wouldn't leave. So um, it, it's a very raw and very emotional. It's a very triggering book um, because I did not hold back. Um, there is language, there's sex, there's violence, but it's part of the story and it's part of what makes it real. Um, but I really dove deep to express every emotion I felt in every one of those situations. Um, and, and it was really hard. It, it helped me heal, but it was very hard. And I have found that a lot of people that have reached out to me after reading it have related in some way or in too many ways, which is very sad, but it definitely makes people feel like they're not alone that, you know, somebody else has been through it, um, and got out. So it offers hope as well. Okay. So as we come to the end, I always like to ask all of my guests, if you can go back and talk to 17 year old Dana and talk to her about life, what would you tell her? Man, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 17 year old Dana needed to know that she was going to be okay. Mm. I think that's probably what I would tell her because you don't want to say too much to alter the course of events, but there's too much to say beyond that. But I just think I needed somebody to say it's going to be okay. And that they loved you. Yes. But I needed to find that love myself. Mm. And I was too young to really be able to understand that. But yes. That would be my answer. Okay. All right. <laughs> and um, before I let everyone go, I just wanted to say when you told the story about your health. Yes. About maybe 15 years ago, I was, I'm an insurance broker. So I'm with a lot of different groups and stuff like that. There was this lady and she was a, a sitter, a PCA, a personal care attendant. And she would come in the center every day with this lady that was young and she was, she couldn't speak. She was almost like handi handicapped. She she almost looked like she had maybe cerebral palsy, but it was extreme. She couldn't talk. She couldn't speak like at all. She would mumble and all kind of stuff. And one day I sat down and I was, you know, talking to her, her sitter and she said, you need to talk. And I don't know if God put this situation together or not, but she said, you need to talk to her mom. So I talked to her mom because I was going to see if I could help her with her insurance. And, um, I'm going to just say Suzanne, because I can't remember her name. She, Her mom said, you know, Suzanne wasn't always like that. I said, really? She said, yeah, she has two kids. I said, really? And she said, and I bet you if you asked her about her two kids, she couldn't tell you their birthday or anything. She said, but if you asked her about her husband, she could tell you everything about him, even though she can't really talk. She can write down his birthday. But basically, I'm telling you this to say that she was so 
messed up behind her husband, so stressed out that she literally was a totally different person. So I said that to say that just to go with your story, you were able to stop what was going to happen, what could have happened to you. This lady... It's amazing. Like, I would never believe this lady had two kids in a life looking at her, like, in the physical. And that was at the time when I just had my my baby and I was dealing with um, her father left. And I just was so depressed. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just didn't think I was, you know, again, I failed at love. So I was like, man, this is just not working. I just felt I was at the bottom. I literally cut my hair. I was just going through it. And I spoke to that lady and it felt like the Lord put her there for me to talk to because I could have went down that same trail. Exactly. And that's part of the reason, you know, I mean, you're speaking of God and honestly, how my book came to be was because I I had this journal of all these things that had happened to me and I had gotten sick and I just one day, just one morning, just they say God can put something on your heart or on your soul, whatever it was. But I just had this voice in my head telling me, you need you need to write a book about this because mm-hmm. people need to know they need to be aware. Yes. You know, when they say stress can kill you or, or be, even just verbal abuse. And honestly, I had one gal that I spoke to on a podcast that we just told stories and I actually told a story that I, it, it's a chapter in my book so people can read it, but it was a story where not one word was exchanged between me and my ex, but the mental damage that that interaction had on me without a word spoken and without him laying one finger on me, stress. So it's a real thing and people need to be warned. And I felt like it was my duty and responsibility after everything I'd been through, after struggling as it, and this is part of why I said it's going to be okay when I was to my 17 year old self, you know, I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to live from the time I was about 13 on. I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to live this life. And too many times in my previous marriage, I didn't want to live this life. If I hadn't had my son, I don't know if I would be here because I just didn't want to do it. So I needed to know that everything would be okay. And I went to school, I went to college, got my degree in journalism and psychology. And so after all this experience, I thought maybe this is God telling me write this book because I have the ability to to write and I have the talent to speak. And I need to be the person that speaks out for these victims and lets people know really what the consequences could be. You're not doing anything noble by staying and trying and doing. You're just hurting yourself and hurting your children even more. Just prolonging it. Yes. Um, That's totally true. So we are to the end. I thank you all. I thank you, Dana, for telling your story. Um, I was so excited. I was happy. Like I was happy (laughs) to hear it because... A lot of these messages I need to hear. I have a, a cousin who always talks to me. We, She and I, every time we, we talk about narcissists, we have this conversation. So I just hope that this conversation resonates with someone. I hope that someone is able to shake it off and get out of whatever. It, but you have to be ready. It's kind of like yes. drugs. You can't just yes. leave because you saw somebody say leave. You have to leave when you are ready. So don't rush, but you have to be ready. Think about it. Take your time. And there is light on the other side there is love and somebody can love you there's somebody for everybody you just have to be patient um so again you all thank you all for listening thank you for staying to the end of this show i hope you were touched by this message and if the lord says the same i will see you all next week thank you bye Bye -bye. (laughs) bye-bye